turning in scriptures this morning, I wanted to thank uh, several people, the uh, ones that put on the picnic last week, I wanted to thank you for your labors, I don't know where you are or if all of you are here, but we had a great time last week at the picnic, um, somebody counted over 100 people there, and so it was a real good time, great time of fellowship and food and fun, and so for those of you who labored to make that happen last week, we want to thank you for that. We want to thank those of you who worked yesterday. We had a number of people that were able to make it out for the workday. Uh, much was accomplished, and uh, we want to thank you and show our appreciation for that. And then um, encourage you, if you can come next week, that um, there will be another workday on Saturday. And um, <clears throat> I also want to thank Ron this morning for the worship uh, set, um, the songs that we sang. I know every week is, is a special, unique week, but uh, just some weeks... To me, personally, there's just something about some weeks that really are exalting of Christ and in a special way, and so that set this morning, Ron, was really special to me, so thank you very much for that. Um, I do just want to reiterate what Michael already said about the marriage conference coming up in November. Some have asked me, well, I don't, I'm not having any struggles in my marriage, so I don't, do I need to come to the marriage conference? Um, the marriage conference is not just for those who are struggling in their marriage, it is for those who are struggling in their marriage, but not only for those, but um, it's for those who have, are newly married who just want to uh, get some tools. It's for those who have been married for a number of years and uh, just want to come and listen and encourage other younger married couples. Um, it's really for everybody who is married. We really want to encourage you to be here. Invite your friends and neighbors to participate in that, and um, I believe it'll be a real blessing uh, as the, uh, Michael said, we're planning and trying to put together a really good event. So um, please help us in participating in that and inviting other people as well. Just a little update on us. Um, we've been here a year and a half now. We have um, lots of things have happened over the last year and a half. I know when we first came out here, a lot of talk about what, what was happening, what was going through. We haven't really shared anything for a while, but I wanted to share this morning that we have purchased a home here in, in Hollister. And so we, we are thanking the Lord for giving us guidance and wisdom on that. And, uh, you know, we, we found the process of the journey a little interesting. When we first moved here, we looked at houses and we were like, there's no way we're ever going to own a house, right? And then after about six months into it, we're like, oh, look, this one's only 500000 <laughs> So... It's weird, it's weird how your mind starts to adjust to the, to the situation that you're in. And so, so after 18 months, the Lord has given us enough of that transition that we have bought a house. And we closed this Friday. So if you'd just be in prayer with us on that. And I know several have offered about helping us out. And uh, we will communicate um, when we are officially going to make the move. But, um, but your prayers are just super valuable in this process for us. So thank you, and we pray that you will continue to do so. Um, we just heard our text read out of 1 Timothy 1. Uh, my goal over the, over the next several weeks is to give us some practical instructions from primarily from the book of 1 Timothy. We'll also look at um, other books to kind of draw in truths from other portions of Scripture. But our primary focus is going to be in the book of 1 Timothy on how we're supposed to behave in the church, just some practical things on, on what the church should look like, how the church should function. And, and again, 
we want to be mindful of the fact that when we talk about the church, we're not just talking about how we act in here, but we're talking about how we function in life. Um, one of the greatest detriments that we can do to the church or the body of Christ is act one way in here and act differently when we're not in here. One of the greatest detriments that we can do to our families and our, our children is to act a certain way in here and act completely different in, 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 in our home lives. Um, some people say, and I've heard preachers say, that Sunday morning is the worst morning because you fight with your family or you have frustrations because you have to get ready and you have all these things, and then you walk in through the church doors and you put a big smile on your face and you act like everything is okay and nothing bad has happened that day. Now, I know that that has never happened to any of you. Uh, I'm just sharing, with that, sharing that with you so that you can think about all the people who are not here this morning. <laughs> but it happens to us, doesn't it? It's so important that we learn that how we act and, and how we function in a daily life, that we be honest, we be transparent, we be real with who we are, because to me, that's more significant than putting on a certain face in certain events and certain times. Our, our children need to see who we really are, and they need us to be really honest and transparent about it, and, and Pharisaicalism, if I could call it that, it's, it's a big word for um, kind of legalism or just trying to put on a, a, a mask is what the word means, a, a mask wearer. Um, that's not healthy. It's never healthy. So we want to just be who we are. We want you to be who you are. I want to be who I am. I want to be the same guy that's preaching behind this pulpit as the same guy that you guys talk to um, throughout the week, the same uh, guy that these kids see all the time, um, you know, outside of the suit, obviously, but... Uh, I want to be that person because it's important that we be who we are and, and that we be growing and learning um, to be more like Christ each and every day, okay? So, so behaving in the church is not just behaving in the church walls, but behaving as Christians. How do we function each and every day of our lives? We want to remember as well that the, the reason why it's important for us to behave a certain way is because of who our God is. It's not necessarily that we're significant or we're important, but, but our role as Christians, our, our position as being children of God, as being representatives of his kingdom, it, it, that makes it important for us to live a certain way, to act a certain way, to function a certain way. As I preached last week, if we are the only gospel, if we're the only message that the world hears uh, Lord, help us to be a proper message, amen? Lord, help us to be communicating to the world around us what it really means to be a follower of Jesus Christ and how great a privilege that is. So who our God is, who we, who we represent and who we follow makes it important for us to live a certain way. And then our mission, our message and our mystery, we focused on the last uh, three weeks our mission, our message, and our mystery, these things also make it important for us to live a certain way, to function a certain way uh, in relation to those who are watching us. We want to remember this. When God called us to himself in salvation, when God, ultimately when God saved us, okay, he called us not just to be his children, but he called us to a life of representation, and he called us to a life of purpose, not the same purpose that the world has, but Jesus Christ has called us to a different purpose, a life of representing him. I'm going to read a few texts here from other passages of scripture. You can listen or you can join me there. First Peter chapter number two, 
You're probably familiar with the text. And uh, in 1 Peter chapter number 2, in verse 9, the Bible says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession. So that describes who we are. And then he describes what we're supposed to do, what we're supposed to be based upon the fact that we are this chosen, royal, holy, peculiar uh, people, his people, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but you are now God's people. Once you were not a, uh, had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from passions of the flesh, which war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that, they, so that if they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good works and glorify God in the day of visitation. And then in Philippians chapter number 2, the Lord says in verse 14, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. And, and, and none of us would deny the fact that we live in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation more so than ever before, and it's not going to get better, it's going to get worse. So hence the reason why we are to shine as lights in the midst of this darkness. There's no value, folks, in putting our lights under a bushel because the darkness is getting greater. We must take the bushel off of our lights, or if you will, you know, the, the, if you, you can picture with me a lamp, and you have a, a shade, Right? Okay? And that shade is meant to kind of control or limit that light so it doesn't shine too brightly. Take the shade off of your lamp right now. Okay? We, are, we are in utter and absolute darkness, and we don't need to shade our light. We need to boldly portray the light of Jesus Christ that has shined on us and is now shining through us. I love Isaiah, I believe it's 60, where the Lord says, that the light of the Lord has shined on us and that it's now shining through us to the other nations and drawing them to him. That's what we're doing. That's who we are. He says that you might shine, you might be children of God without blemish in the, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So it's important that we shine as lights, that we're effective lights to the, to the world around us, that we minister the gospel in a, in, a, in a specific way, not just by our words, but also by our living. Now with this in mind, it's also important to understand that when you talk about behavior, in the church, it can also often be misleading. Uh, people take behavior in the church or how we're to function and how we're to live, and they turn it into legalism. In, in other words, that you, you have to do these things because if you don't do these things, God will not like you anymore. If you don't do these things, God will be angry with you or frustrated with you or God's going to, he's going to throw a brick out of heaven and hit you on your head if you don't do these things, Okay? 
So there's a danger in that. There's also a danger when it comes to um, talking about behavior in the church, a danger of self-righteousness. Well, I'm better than this person because I do these things and they don't do these things. And then there's a danger in the church of rebellion when you present or talk about behavior because some simply have an attitude of rebellion towards any rules and regulations. We want to understand this. The Bible says in Romans that the law of God for believers is not written on a list of stone or a tablet of stone anymore, but it's written on the heart of the believer. There's no more need for rules and regulations for a believer because their heart has been transformed. Their desire now is to follow after the things of God. So let's remember these things. Good behavior never saved anyone. Titus 3 and verse 5 says, not by works of righteousness that we have done, but by his grace or by his mercy, he has saved us by the washing and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Good works, behavior, proper behavior has never saved anyone. As a matter of fact, the law written in the Old Testament and all of the Old Testament is meant to be a display to us that there is no behavior that we can perform that will bring us into a place of salvation or being savable, if you will. There's no works that you can do to make yourself savable. Number two, it doesn't, good works or proper behavior never make you closer to God or more righteous. Good works never bring us closer to God or make us more righteous. We're not better than anybody else because we do certain good deeds. Now, good deeds can very easily be a display of, our right, of his righteousness in us. They're evidence that he lives inside of us. If someone is not producing good works, it might not be that we teach to them produce good works, but it may be that we talk to them about their eternal salvation that might be lacking, right? I believe, and I present this to you and I challenge this, I challenge you with this. I believe that there are people that are walking through life who believe that there are Christians who are totally bound up in the chains of sin and darkness and they would, even, they would even find themselves listed in passages of Scripture like 1 Corinthians 6, where it gives a list of, of, of lifestyles, and it says these people will not inherit the kingdom of God. And they're walking through life with this total confidence that, hey, I know I'm going to go to heaven when I die, but their life is an absolute, it, 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 their, their life is saying something completely different. My challenge to you is that if God hasn't changed your heart, if you're walking through life in utter sin and there is no conviction and there is no victory, there is no winning, my challenge to you is don't fix your problem. Let Jesus fix your soul. Don't focus on what you're doing. Focus on who you are in Christ or who you're not in Christ. Folks, listen, the worst thing in the world is for people to stand before God one day and say, hey, I did this and I did this and I did this and I know I'm saved. And the Lord brings down that screen and says, no, look at your life. Look at your life. This is what you did. This is how you lived your life. You deceived yourself. James 1, James says this, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, right? Right? Deceiving your own self. 
Self-deceit is one of the most powerful deceptions that's out there today. And my fear is is that the scripture has boldly spoken, has clearly spoken. Really, there isn't any question as to what the scripture says in passages like Galatians 5 and 1 Corinthians 6 and Revelation 21 and others as well. It's so clear and obvious what the scripture says, but for some reason we walk away thinking, I'm going to be okay. It's the James 5 passage where you look at the mirror and you see yourself for who you are and you walk away and you're like, I'm fine. That's not good. The James 5 passage says you walk and you look in the mirror and you stay there and you allow the mirror to do a work on you. That's what the Lord does. So I want you to know that, yes, while being behavior doesn't make us more righteous or bring us closer to God, at the same time, behavior can be a revealer of where we are truly at in regards to our relationship with God. Number four, our behavior does help as we represent Christ. Our behavior does help in our representation of Christ. A Christian can be a bad representation of Christ. A Christian can be a good representation of Christ. How we function and how we live is a reflection on our Lord. Do we serve a good God? Then we would all say, We would all say yes, but yet we struggle with complaining and murmuring, right? Do we serve a sovereign God? We would all say yes, we serve a sovereign God, but then we walk through our daily lives and we don't know why things are happening. And we question and we we worry, right? These are not signs that we have a sovereign God and a good God. How we function is in many ways a either help or hindrance to our representation of Christ. And then lastly, in this introduction, proper behavior is not an obligation. It is a privilege. When you think of proper behavior as being an obligation, you think of do right, get blessings from it. You think of, I have to do this. If I don't do this, it's going to happen. That's not what proper behavior is. Proper behavior is this. You have this amazing God who lets you be a part of his family and lets you represent him. Right? That's what, that's what proper, that's what the privilege is of being a part of God's family. <laughs> Obedience doesn't need to be forced on a believer The heart of a believer, according to Romans 7, has already been changed. All the believer needs is instruction. All we need is to be taught. There are things that God calls us to that we don't understand. Paul said, the things that I want to do, I don't do, ultimately because he didn't know how to do them. There are things that God asks you to do that you're not going to get. You're not going to understand. And only by teaching and instruction do those things become a, um, a reality to you. I illustrate it this way when it comes to understanding what God does. It's like my kids, I I love basketball. Some of you know me. That's kind of one of the things that I enjoy a lot. And so I I have, as a a natural lover of basketball, my kids all love basketball. Even from a very young age, they love basketball. It's like from very young in their childhood, they love to play basketball. But you know what's interesting? I hand a kid who loves basketball a basketball for the first time, and do you know what they do? 
they fumble that thing all over the place like they've never touched a basketball before in their life because they haven't. And it's only by work and practice and things like that that they become very good at handling the basketball. So just by loving to play basketball doesn't make them good at it, right? Just by loving Jesus doesn't make you good at representing him. It takes work. It takes practice. It takes, it takes study. It takes effort. It takes community. It takes all of those things to become a good representation of Christ. So there are people who love Jesus who just need to be trained to do the right thing. But there are not people who love Jesus who need to be forced to do the right thing. Because that, the problem with that is, is they probably don't love Jesus. My problem with my kids is not forcing them to go out and play basketball. My problem is saying, no, you can't go play basketball today. Right? Because they have a love for the sport. Christians are that way too. No, you can't read your Bible all day. You have to go to work. Right? Yeah, we've all experienced that one, right? Yeah, right. Come on, be honest. We, 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 have to be, we have to be sometimes drawn away from the things of God because that's our passion. That's what we love to do. So that's where we're at here with, with this study here. And again, 1 Timothy deals with this in a number of different ways. We looked at the last few weeks on these things have I written unto you that you might know how to behave in the household of God. So with that, let's go back to our text and we're going to look specifically this morning at our communication, at our conversation. One of the first things that the Apostle Paul gives instruction on in this book is our conversation or our, our communication. He says in verse number three, as I've urged you, which that word urge there is a form of communication, it's a form of teaching, a form of instruction. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge, again, another term used to describe teaching or instruction. And then he says, I, I um, charge you, charge certain men not to teach. There's another word to describe communication or um, instruction uh, to teach nor to devote themselves to myth or endless genealogies. There's another phrase there, endless. The word genealogies there could be translated endless speaking, okay? Devoting themselves to endless speaking. Uh, genealogies, when I think of genealogies, I think of, man, they just keep on telling me name after name after name of people. And we don't struggle with that, right? How many of you guys have found yourself focusing on telling everybody about the genealogies? Okay, we don't... But when we think of endless speaking, we understand exactly what that means. Some people have endless speaking. I'm sure there are some Sunday mornings that you think, Pastor John has endless speaking, right? I hope not to have endless speaking this morning, okay? But that's what the idea of that is. It's, again, it's another way of communicating. It's, you, you see it four times just in these few verses, communicating, teaching, charging, instructing, uh, uh, speaking, this, this term or these terms are really all throughout the book of Timothy. Out of, out of six chapters, there are 41 references to some type of teaching or instruction or communication. This is very, very important to remember as a part of the body of Christ is that we're always teaching and we're always instructing people around us by how we communicate with them. You say, Pastor John, I'm not teaching all the time. I'm not always instructing. Yes, you are. As a Christian, you are always teaching. 
You are always influencing the people who are around you. You may not be influencing them for good, but you are always influencing the people around you by your communication. You're always teaching. So this term that goes all throughout this book, again, 41 times in six chapters, that's, I think, seven, almost seven times in each chapter, you see this term being repeated over and over again because Timothy understands that, or, or said better, God understands that the life of a Christian is the life of influence. It's the life of impacting people for, for God. It's the life of representing God to the people in this world around us. That's what our life, that's what we've been called to. That's what we've been commissioned to. That's why when Jesus Christ saved us, he didn't just rapture us up to heaven. That would have been good, right? Ron said, surely come, Lord Jesus, right, quickly. John didn't, Ron's not the only one that said that, but the John in the book of Revelation says it three times in the last chapter. He was ready for the Lord's return 2,000 years ago when he was authoring this stuff. The apostle Paul says in the book of Philippians, he says, my desire is to be absent from you, right? But he says this, but it's better for you that I stay. Why is it better why do we need to still be here? Because you know something, folks? It's better for Hollister, California, that we be here. Amen. It is. You know, it's better for this block, for this street, for this country, that we be here. The Lord has left us here for a purpose, and we want to make sure that we communicate and live out that purpose in our lives and how we function each and every day. 1 Timothy 4 Verse 11 and 12 says, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set, uh, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And again, in this phrase, in this one verse here, you have mentioned four times the idea of teaching or instruction, command and teach and be an example to the believers and um, be an example in your speech or in your conversation. So when we think about conversing or communicating with the world around us, two things, two simple things come to my mind from the book of 1 Timothy. And I'm gonna try to give you these things and, and I wanna encourage you to go home and read it. There, I, I have done some study to, to bring this together, but I'm not going to be able to unpack all of the study that I've done that you can see from all of the text where it flows from. But I believe if you will go home and read the book of 1 Timothy, you'll see all of this stuff come to life for you. And that truly is what our purpose and motivation is, is that you see it from God's word. So the first thing that we see in the book of Timothy in regards to communicating is it's verbal. It's something that we, something that we talk about, something that we say. Again, you'll see this word in the scriptures over and over again, uh, in this text over and over again, the idea of speaking, communicating, or talking to people. The word teach is used throughout the book of Timothy to in, in, describe instruction or, or conversation or, or a, a discourse back and forth, a, an explanation of something. The word command is used as well. This is a little bit of a stronger word where you're giving a charge to somebody. You're giving a command. You're announcing something to take place. And we do that. We do that with our, uh, we communicate that way with our, with our words. He uses the word public reading the idea of just communicating through reading something or, or um, reading like reading a book or something to your kids or to somebody. 
He uses the word exhorting, encouraging. The Greek word here is paraklesis, which means to come alongside of somebody. It's, it's, it's a very similar word that's used in um, the book of John to describe the Holy Spirit as the helper, the one who comes alongside of us. So when you think about communicating, we're to communicate, we're to encourage. And the Bible says in um, Ephesians 4 and 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good for the use of edifying or encouraging. That all of our conversation and our words, we should, always be encur- we should always be communicating, encouraging things. The Bible says that our conversation should be seasoned with salt. It means it should be tasteful. It should be purposeful. It should be full of grace. We should be exhorting, encouraging, drawing near to people. This is um, one of the themes of our church is to do discipleship. Our, our goal of the church is that everything point to this world of discipleship. This word here is that idea of discipling somebody, to walking alongside of them and helping them. And then charging is another word that's used throughout this text. This is the idea of giving, giving a witness or, or a testimony. When we communicate our testimony uh, uh, of what God has done to us or for us. One of the greatest tools that the apostle Paul had was his testimony. People often ask me, Pastor John, I just don't, I, you know, I, I'm a believer and I, I'm, I'm passionate about sharing the, the gospel with people, but I just, I don't have all of, the, all of my I's dotted and my T's crossed. I don't know what to say, right? And they're in that moment of passion. They're, they're really in that perfect moment to share the gospel with people because because time and season hasn't, hasn't had its effect on, on, on the passion that they have for Jesus. And yet in their mind, the devil has convinced them that they don't have the right words. You know what I tell them? It's like, be the apostle Paul. Tell them what Jesus did for you. Tell them about your conversion. Tell them about the miracle of God taking you out of darkness and putting you into the light. Listen, folks, there isn't perfect words for that. The Lord wants us to share. The Lord is going to take what we say anyway as we boldly open up our mouths and and, um, frailly speak out what God has done for us. He's going to take those words and he's going to put them in their ears as he wants them to arrive there. Have have you guys, has anybody in here ever spoken a message to somebody and and it was almost like between leaving your mouth and getting to their ears, it was completely different? But do you know that that really happens? That there is a spiritual realm that takes place and there is, there is things going on in their mind and their thinking and, and God is working. So it's not, don't be afraid of speaking forth what God has done for you and trusting him to take those words and to, and to do whatever he sees fit to do with them. You say, well, Pastor John, I don't know what verses to go to. I don't know this and that. You know, those things are gonna come to you, but, but be someone who communicates your testimony to those around you. This is the life of a Christian. This is what we do on a regular basis. And then the second kind of communication that we have is that of of the physical communication, the, the body language. We communicate not only with our words, but we communicate with our actions. We're always saying something by how we respond to situations, aren't we? People might say to us, wow, you know, I, I see this or I see that in you. And you're like, well, I've never told you that. It's like, well, you don't need to tell me that, right? You don't need to say that to me because your actions have already said that to me. And may I submit to you that our body language, our, our physical um, communications with people is actually more powerful than our verbal language. 
And the reason for that is, is because we live in a culture who is really good at saying the right things. The Lord says that you're, you, you, you speak well of me, but your heart is far from me. Our, our actions are more evidence to the reality of who we are than what we say. We're great at saying the right things, but we're not often good at doing the right things. So our body language says a lot as well. And Timothy doesn't leave that alone either. He says in chapter number four and verse number 12, he says, uh, verse 11, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example. So he says to, he says to Timothy, it's not just about what you say, Timothy, although that's important, but Timothy, be an example to them. Show them what it means to be a Christian. Show the world what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. In, verse, in chapter 1 and verse number 16, he says, But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example. Jesus Christ did not only speak the truth, but his life was an example of the truth. He didn't just communicate with his words, but he communicated with his walk. I don't know about you this morning, but I, I will give you personal testimony and, and personal confession that sometimes my mouth is far more uh, self-righteous than my walk or far more viewing of me as righteous than my walk is. Some of us even today have expressed a righteousness with our mouth that we know is not true about our walk. We have expressed something with our mouth that we haven't lived out with our life. I, I would say that that happens all the time. People are asked the question, how are you doing today? And what's the response? It's fine, isn't it? That's the answer. I mean, that's like the patented answer. You ask yourself the question, is that an accurate, is that an accurate, is that true? Because in, is everything fine just with my mouth? Or is everything fine in how I'm walking through life today? And maybe it is, maybe it is accurate and true. But the issue is, is that our, 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 our body language says a lot about us and about our Christianity, even more so than perhaps our, um, perhaps our, our mouths are not as honest about things. So... We communicate. We're always communicating. The Lord made us a communicative people. In Genesis, he gave language so that we could communicate. And we're always communicating, always communicating. We're communicating through our mouths. We're communicating through our bodies, how we live, how we respond, how we act, how we worry, how we get angry and frustrated. We're always communicating something. So with that in mind, two last points. Number one, what are we not to communicate? The, the idea here is, the, the, the point is, if, you, if you're taking notes, communication that is discouraged. The first point was communication that is defined, communication that is discouraged. What type of communication does the Apostle Paul discourage? And I would say to you that there is so much in this book that Paul discourages Timothy from communicating. And listen, folks, we as a church must be careful that we don't communicate the wrong things. You say, well, Pastor John, we preach the word. Remember, it's not just about what we preach, right? It's about how we act. We're communicating 
as we function together, yesterday we came over and we functioned together. We were there the other week at the park last week. You know what? We were communicating. We were communicating with each other, and there were, it's possible. I, I saw lots of people walk by our building yesterday. We were communicating to them too, right? Can you imagine if, if two of the people in our body were having a knockdown drag out right in front of the world? Right? It didn't happen, praise the Lord, right? But what does that say about us? What does it say about our God? You say, well, I would never communicate that. But you're communicating that. You're communicating that. We're always communicating something. And that's why he puts so much emphasis in this book on communications, because we're supposed to be communicating at all times, and we're supposed to find it serious. Here's what he says. Go back to our text, chapter number one. Three things that we're not to communicate. Number one, he says, don't communicate any different doctrine. Any different doctrine. You say, well, what does that mean? If you go to uh, other passages of scripture, Romans 16, the Bible says, mark those who cause division amongst you according to a different doctrine than what we have taught and avoid them. Galatians 1, 6 through 9, the Bible says, don't teach any other different doctrine than what we have taught. And if somebody does, even if it's an angel from heaven who teaches a different doctrine, he says, let them be condemned. So here's the thing. We must make sure that what we're teaching and what we're communicating is not a different doctrine. What is a different doctrine? Well, we have to know what the true doctrine is to know what a different doctrine is. And then according to Galatians 1, there is no different doctrine. They're all false unless they are Christ. So ultimately, we always are trying to communicate Christ to people, right? We're always communicating Christ. And if anybody comes teaching any different doctrine other than Christ, they're to not be received. And then he gives two doctrines that are different from Christ throughout the book of of 1 Timothy. Number one is the doctrine of legalism. He says, don't communicate legalism to the body. Don't, he even goes on in, the, in chapter number one, he talks about those who want to be teachers of the law. He says the law is good if you're a wicked and horrible person, but that doesn't describe the church, does it? The law is good for lost people, but the law is not necessary for believers because the law of God is written in our hearts. His, his spirit lives within us. We don't need a set list of rules and regulations to know how to behave properly because God lives inside of us. That is what we talked about last week, that he, it, we are an expression of, or we're the manifestation of the glory of Christ. Legalism moves away from that. What does legalism say? Legalism is a dependence on rules, regulations, and formulas rather than a trust and a dependence on what Jesus Christ has done for us. Legalism says salvation and, our, and or daily righteousness is based upon what we do. I've heard a lot of people say, well, I know that I'm saved by grace, but I have to do something to maintain that. No, Jesus Christ is not just the author of our faith. He is the finisher of our faith, and he is everything in the middle, Jesus Christ is not just in control of your justification and glorification, but Jesus Christ is in control of your sanctification. 
He is the one that's in control of the, of the entire journey. We never want to communicate to people that our standing before God is based upon what we do. I'm talking about with our actions, how we're communicating to people, how we're accepting people ourselves. How are we functioning as Christians when it comes to other people? Are we holding them to a standard that says, hey, your acceptance with God is based upon what you do. This is wrong communication. This is saying the wrong thing to them. The Apostle Paul warns strongly against teaching legalism to or communicating legalism, whether it be to the church or to the community around us. Matthew 23 is a great passage of scripture that deals with this idea of legalism. He says this, you tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them upon the people's shoulders. Is that what our Lord does? Is that what Jesus does? He goes around trying to make people's lives harder? I think that was Pharaoh in Egypt that did that, not Jesus. He set them free, right? The Lord sets us free. He doesn't bind us up. He doesn't put more weight on our shoulders. He doesn't make it harder for us. He says, place my yoke upon you, Matthew 11, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We don't want to communicate by our words or our actions that we're legalistic, that we think our standing before God, our goodness, or any of that stuff is based upon what we do, but it's based solely upon what Jesus Christ has done. Amen? Amen. That's what we want to communicate, but folks, the reality of it is, is that what we're communicating? Is that what our daily actions and the way that we function with our wives and with our children and with each other, is that what is communicated to the world around us or are we communicating a legalism to them? He goes on in chapter number four. In chapter number four, he calls legalism the doctrine of demons. He says, now expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith and devote themselves to deceitful spirits or and the teaching of demons through the, through the insincerity of liars whose conscience is seared. Whose conscience is, think about that for a moment. Whose conscience is seared to what? Conscience is seared to the people. Who forbid people to be married and require abstinence from food so that uh, that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. In other words, we're not to... Here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's not, he's not promoting inappropriate eating. He's not a promoting extramural relationships. He's promoting those things that God has ordained for us, that God has gloriously given to us for our enjoyment. And he says, quit taking these things away from people. This is their liberty in Christ. This is their freedom. This is what we're to be communicating, not come to church and we'll put you in a cage, but come to church and we'll set you free so that you can serve Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what we're here to do. 
We don't want to communicate prison in church. We want to communicate liberty in church. I've often said that when we walk out those doors on Sunday morning at at 11 o'clock, we communicate something to the people around us. Did we have a good time or did we not? We're communicating, communicating, communicating. We don't want to communicate legalism. Here's what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 2.21. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness came through legalism or through the law, then Christ is dead in vain or has died in vain. So when we communicate legalism, do you know what we're saying? Tell me what we're saying. That Christ died in vain. I don't know anybody in this room that would want to communicate that. So he says, don't communicate legalism. Don't communicate legalism, especially amongst yourself, brothers and sisters in Christ. The second thing that he says, or the third thing that he says not to communicate is Gnosticism. Gnosticism was simply a, a, um, a, uh, a knowledge-based religion. And Gnostic comes from the, the Greek word gnosis, knowledge. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's rooted in knowledge-based. They were very proud. They were very spiritual. They were always talking about how that they, always talking about all that they knew. Listen, Christianity is not about all that we know. I believe this, that while legalism is a really strong negative in our culture today, I believe that Gnosticism has retaken a root and Christianity has become more about what you know than it is about who you know. Or maybe it would be better to say it's more about what you know than who knows you. Listen to these words. This is what Gnosticism is called in this book. It's called myths. What's a myth? It's not a good thing, is it? Gnosticism is called a myth. We don't want to spend our time talking about myths, do we? Gnosticism is called endless talking. Gnosticism is called irreverent. Gnosticism is called silly. I love the words that he chooses to use because he really just belittles it. The people, listen to me, the people who prided themselves on their knowledge, Paul calls them silly. You're just silly. Can you just picture it? I love it, right? You're just silly. Just calm down. You're just a little silly today. Don't call me silly, right? Man, you talk about humbling somebody that just thinks the world of themselves, that will do it. That's what he does. I mean, literally, Paul holds no punches when it comes to these Gnostic people. Endless talking, irreverent, silly. He calls them babblers. Men without understanding. He calls them unhealthy. And if you've ever heard of fake news, and if you've watched the news, you've heard of fake news, The Apostle Paul, in the last verse of 1 Timothy, calls it fake knowledge. He says, you have fake knowledge. We don't want to build our Christianity around what we know. May the world around us never think, well, 
their Christianity is based upon how smart they are. The gospel is simple, folks. The gospel is simple. It is that Jesus Christ came into this world, God the Son, that he bore on himself our sins and that he, died, he, he lived a perfect life, bore on himself our sins. He died on the cross. He rose again from the grave three days later. He ascended up to the Father, and now he has sent his Holy Spirit to us. That is the gospel. I understand that the gospel is supernatural, but the gospel is simple. It takes the Holy Spirit to enlighten a person to receive that message. It is a foolish message unless you are a person of faith. But the gospel doesn't take a, the gospel does not take a seminary degree to understand. And listen, if we argue with people because we have seminary degrees about this little word and this little word and this big word, we are doing a great disservice to the simplicity of the gospel. Let's get it back down to where it meets the road, where it's just basic. Jesus died for your sins. He rose again, and he now intercedes on your behalf. This is the gospel. And yes, there are big words to use with that, but folks, let us never interfere with the simplicity of the gospel by turning it into something that the Gnostics would have embraced because they could say that they know more than anybody else. Folks, listen to me. We are opposed to that. There is a religion out there that many, many years ago did not believe that the natural man had any right to, take, to touch the word of God because they could not understand it. Can I submit to you that there are a lot of people that stand behind these pulpits like this that act like you have no right to understand the word of God either. We're indwelt by God's spirit and there's not anybody in here that has any better or higher are more gifted to understand that book. We have God's spirit. He teaches us all. And when we get so intellectual about what this word says, may God help us because we may be pushing simple people away from God's great message of salvation. Apostle Paul even says that he was concerned that they would be drawn away of the simplicity that is the gospel. These are things that we have to avoid. I'm not going to go on this morning. I encourage you to come back next week. We will talk about the things that the Apostle Paul tells us to talk about, the things that we're supposed to talk about. But I, I want to encourage you and challenge you this morning that as we think about how does our life communicate, as we think about that message, may we always think, I don't want to communicate anything other than Jesus I don't want to communicate legalism, and I don't want to communicate a knowledge-based system of religion. Let's pray together. Thank you so much, Lord, for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenges that it brings to us. Help us, Lord God, this morning to walk away, um, Lord, more understanding of maybe what our purpose is and uh, more ready and able to represent you here in the world that we live in. Please uh, bless. Uh,